Well, one more week and the Christmas season will be officially over with. Of course, I believe um, Friday, this past Friday, was the 12th day of Christmas, and so that part's done. We got one more week and then we take all the Christmas stuff down. And so, praise God. Um, I'm not praising God that we're taking it down, but that one more week, you know. Uh, and then we have to wait again until... November, the end of November again, when uh, after Thanksgiving to go ahead and uh, make Christmas merry again. And so praise the Lord. Uh, we are starting a um, new series this morning uh, to begin our um, year. And this morning we're going to be starting our part one of practicing generosity. Practicing generosity. And it's so good for God's people to practice what he practices every day. Now think about that. If it wasn't for God's generosity, would any of us be saved? If it wasn't for his generosity, would we have our homes, our vehicles, the things that we have? If it wasn't for his generosity, would he have healed us when we needed a healing? God is so generous, and He's our Heavenly Father. So what should we be like? We should be like Him. Um, so let's look at James chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 17 and 18, and that's going to be our kicking off verse each time we come together for this series. But let's look at that. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, isn't that good? That's good stuff. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that every good gift comes from you. Lord, help us to be more like our Savior. Help us not to hold back the blessings you have given us. Help us not to hold back our testimony that needs to be shared with others. Help us not to hold back one thing, but help us to be generous with the gifting that you've given us, with the Holy Spirit you've imparted to us, and with the message of salvation that needs to go forth. Oh Lord, help us, Lord, to be more like you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, for your anointing, that your anointing would be strong upon me this morning, that I would only speak the words you would have me to speak. And Lord, anoint our ears to hear from you today. And let this word find good soil in our hearts and in our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Practicing generosity is part of our heritage as Pentecostals. Did you know that? Practicing generosity is part of our heritage. In order to practice generosity... We must accept that every good gift is from above and comes down 
from our Heavenly Father. We must ex- that means everything that we have, our car, our children, our homes, even our dog, and maybe your cat, is all from God. Because it says that every good gift is from Him. We are just stewards of those gifts. Oh, I I don't worry about babies. I can preach louder than any baby can scream. (laughs) And I've had five of them. In order, when I had all four little ones at home, I had to be louder than they were sometimes to be heard. Robin knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but all those good gifts come from God. We are just stewards of those things, and a good steward puts those things in their proper places. If we would learn by God's example of his generosity, we would find it's an awesome way to live. Think about that. Hmm. Lorraine and I cannot give the way we've given the last few years to the church anymore. The state of Minnesota didn't like how we did it. I know we're putting this over our podcast. I don't care if I have to say it over the podcast. They didn't like the way we gave. In fact, for Christmas, the wonderful state of Minnesota gave us a wonderful Christmas gift, a seven, over a $700 bill, because they didn't like the way we gave to the church. And so we have to go ahead and share with you the responsibility of taking care of your church. Now, if we would learn from, by God's example of his generosity, we would find it's an easy way to live. Now, I repeat that to say this. If we would do that, we would find tithing and giving, we would find easy and satisfying. Now, Lorraine and I didn't think one bit about it. We were given to the work of the Lord. We didn't think about it. We had bills that had to get paid. Uh, Nobody else was paying them. They had to get paid. Otherwise, you were going to be sitting in the dark or in the cold. We didn't want that for you. We had to make sure that the assessment on the property was paid. We would tell you about it. But this is a shared thing. This is your church. This is your spiritual home. Just like we learned in Sunday school when the folks learned that they were supposed to be Celebrating the Passover, they got so excited about it that they just celebrated even though it was the wrong month. Think about that. They got so excited about their sanctification, they, they sacrificed so many animals, they didn't have enough priests to get the job done. And they found out the other Levites who weren't the priests were doing a better job than they were. And they, the very priests had to repent to live right in front of God. And revival broke out in Judah and in Jerusalem. 
and spread into the northern tribes of Israel. Oh, but I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. Mm, No. I never, you know what, it'd be easy for me to use the old-fashioned guilt to put on the folks of the church. You know what I'm talking about. We know how to do it. I mean, my word, you sometimes think that Pentecostal preachers were raised by Jewish mothers. And, and we could put the guilt on, oh, we, I was in labor over you in prayer. You don't know how much prayer. I prayed over you, and God wants to bless you. If you just give, it'd be poured out to you. I'm not going to do that to you. I want you to give because you love Jesus. I want you to give because you know it's the right thing to do. I don't want you to give because I put a guilt trip on you and later on your children says, look what that preacher did. No, I want you to give out of the right reasons and out of the right heart so that your children will say, boy, I'll tell you what, mom must have really loved the Lord. I'm telling you, tithing and giving when it's done from the heart is so satisfying and so easy. Now I know not everybody here has the gift of giving. And we've been praying that we would get some people with that gift. And that some of you would start praying for the more excellent gifts in your life of the Holy Spirit. And one of the more excellent gifts in the scriptures besides discernment is the gift of giving. Why? Because when God gets a hold of you just to give out of your necessity, because your necessity becomes God, He knows He has a hold of you. Now think about that. When He gets a hold of your wallet, He knows you're totally sold out to Him. That's as Americans. Now in Africa, it's a little different. In Africa, it's a little different because over there, they got, he's got to get a hold of a whole different situation. We don't have, I'm not going to talk about that. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday night. He's got to get a hold of another situation because they're culturally, they're different than us. You know, we Americans, we're so independent. You know, give me a home where the buffalo roams and I'll show you a dirty, dirty house. For seldom is heard, it's a discouraging word for what can an antelope say, right? Come on. And then the song that came from here, Don't Fence Me In, that came from the Dakotas. Come on. We're we're so independent. The reason why, if we got up to about 80 people in church every Sunday, we would have have to, out of necessity, start another Sunday morning service is because we Westerners, we like our elbow room. I mean, look how you sit. Somebody's there, space. Somebody's there, space. Somebody, unless you really like each other, like those two. Can you believe they've been married over 50 years and they still like each other? Isn't that, that's the Holy Ghost. Come on, he's going, no. I know better, Al. I know how you were last year, stuck in the hospital so much and just being lonely at night because 
somebody wasn't laying next to you. That's the Holy Ghost. That's love. This morning we also found that our heritage is found in what we believe. It's found in what we believe. Micah 7.14 says this. Now listen up. This is speaking to all of us who are Sunday school teachers and teachers and pastors, but it really talks to really all of us. It says, shepherd your people with your staff. The flock of your heritage who dwell solid... Solitarily in the woodland, in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Basham and Gilead, as in the days of old. Hmm, why did I pick that verse? Because of what we did in the first part of the service. Because we always take the first Sunday in January as the day we celebrate what we believe. And God says, shepherd your people with your staff. And that staff is sound doctrine. It's so much nicer to, to pastor and shepherd the people with the staff than the rod. I don't like using the rod. Jason knows that. <laughs> I don't like it. I get uncomfortable having to use the rod. The rod is really for correction. When and it's, it's, You know what the rod is, Hal? It's a two by four. Yeah, it's where you go to the mule and have to hit him between the eyes to get his attention. I'd much rather use the staff. It's gentle. It rescues. It's sound doctrine. And we need that in our lives. Especially in this culture that we live in today. This culture says, do whatever feels right. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. But let me tell you something. Sin is still sin. I'm going to meddle. We talked in our staff meeting the other day that in 2018, we're, we're not going to pussyfoot around things. We're going to call sin, sin. What does the Bible say about attending church? On Sunday? Attending church? Hmm? What does it say? Do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together, as some do. Now, who's telling us not to neglect it? It's God. So if we are not following what God tells us to do, and he tells us, if we go on in that verse, he tells us the reason why is that the closer we get to Christ's return, the more we're going to need one another. There is no such thing as lone ranger Christians. We need each other. And did you ever notice that the lone ranger, not only did he need silver, but he needed tanto. He was never truly alone. He had fellowship with someone. But we have some, we got lone stranger Christians. I know somebody who went up to Bethel Church up in um, the E-Free Church in Fargo, walked into church, said hello to the ushers, got their bulletin, went and sat down where they have sat for ages in their own mind, and had the greeters come up to them and said, Hi, how are you doing? You must be new here. 
And you say, well, in that church it's easy because they got so many people. No, the truth is they have been neglecting the fellowship and showing up for church for so long that when they came in there, they couldn't believe nobody recognized them because it had been so long. But in their own mind, they had missed a beat. But what is that called when we're disobedient to God and we don't follow what God says? Sin. Did you know Jesus tithed? Is in the book of Hebrews. It said he tithes, just like Abraham. It's right there. I did a whole sermon on it a few years ago as we went through our doctrine. Jesus tithes. If it was good enough for Jesus, isn't it good enough for us? And is it, was it the church's idea that we set up the, you know, if it was the church's idea, you wouldn't be paying 10%. <laughs> it was the church's idea. It, we would be doing like some of the, one of the churches in the community. Actually, they got two church buildings in the community. And they, the, the finance board sits down and they know what kind of job you have. And they send you a bill in the mail saying this is what you owe for the year. Can you, can you imagine that? And then there's one of those false churches in town that they send out their elders and they come to your home to review your home and while one elder is going through all your books meaning your finances you've got to bring them your savings account your checkbook your 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 ledgers and that ledger you hide from everyone else and bring it to them. While two other of the elders go through your house top to bottom and they search your drawers under your bed and in your closets to make sure you're doing everything the way they say you're supposed to do. Now that's what man would do. God says, you have a relationship with me because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Because Jesus died for you so you can have a relationship with me. I want your giving to be out of that relationship, not out of compulsion. Come on, now think about that. I want that to be out of your relationship. But if we don't tithe, what do we call that? Again, it's sin. Now that sounds like, man, we all, we're not supposed to do that in the culture we have today, especially in the seeker-friendly church, call out sin, but that's what it is. And you know what? Jesus is coming any time. And when we give to the Lord's work, you're not giving to me, you're giving to the Lord's work. When you're giving to the Lord's work, what are you doing? You are storing up your treasures in heaven. So if the Lord is coming soon and we're getting ready to get out of here, what do you want to find in heaven? A fat bank account? I know it's not a bank account, but... I'll put it this way, and you've heard me say this before. Jesus goes to prepare a place for you, all right? And he's been doing it for now 2,000 years, so this is going to be looking awesome. Look at the world, how he made it in six days. Think about what he's done for 2,000 years. Now, if you're storing up your, your treasures in heaven, don't you think when you get to your mansion, it's going to have carpets on the floor, doorknobs on the door, pictures hanging on the wall, and furniture? But if we never store up anything in heaven, where are we going to find? We'll find a nice house with no doorknobs and 
<laughs> no carpets. It'll be a nice house, but it won't be furnished. Oh, Lord, I know I shouldn't be too flippant. That's my imagination. It doesn't say that that way in the Bible, but that's my imagination. I just want the best for you. I want, what, I want everything God has for you and more. And so if God says, this is my way of doing things, and if you can store up your riches in heaven, see, we can't take it with us, can we? Can you pack a bag of gold and take it with you when you die? Of course, the angels would be laughing at you if you brought a bag of gold up there and a, because they'd be asking you, why, why are you bringing pavement up here? Asphalt. You know, asphalt is right. <laughs> why are you bringing that here? Come on, think about it. So the shepherd... The pastor needs to make sure the flock feeds on the word. This is why I went to Micah there. I want to make sure you're feeding on the word. I want to make sure you're in this every day. I want to make sure that we have Bible studies that are relevant. We got a lot of, we got a lot of good uh, life groups that are meeting. Starting this Wednesday, we're going to have a unified Bible study over three of our life groups. We're going to teach, uh, we're actually going to have a discussion groups on uh, the general overseer's book that he, 52 pages, it won't take, it takes us six weeks to do them. Chapters are so short. Um, we have 12 people who are going to be going through that discussion groups and, uh, but it's geared to get us to start thinking and get into the word and the most important thing is start focusing on what this church needs to focus on for years. Our vision has shifted from being internal. We're, fill, we're, we're shifting our vision to be external. And that's, good. That's, a hard, that's a change. When I came here 15 years ago, what, what, were, what was our vision? Our vision was on the building, on upkeep. That was our main vision. And it needed to be when Pastor Dan was here because you know how rough shape the old building was in. In fact... Before we sold the old building, Jason and I found out how much more rough shape that building was in. Right oh my word, that was sitting on dirt. <laughs> Most of the building didn't have foundation. And where Judy used to love to sit in the church, the, uh, the column that the, was supporting that part of the building was no longer supporting that part of the building. <laughs> it wasn't until we were selling the old building then we tell her about that, and she went, oh my word. It was going to take, we were going to have to dig out more of the dirt under there, bring in yards of concrete, and then get the football players from the science school to help us to jack that building up to get that column back in place. You know how much money that was going to cost? And then the foyer, remember the old pretty foyer we had, was falling off the building. By the time we got done, it was going to cost us $100,000 to do that. But what did God do? Was God, did God go ahead and say, oh, I'm going to let you guys struggle to get all that done? No, he made a way, didn't he? made a way where we thought there was no way. He made a way that was different than ours. We thought we were preparing by buying all that land behind the church, that we were preparing to build a new sanctuary, and then we didn't have to worry about all of and then remodel the old so that we could have the dining hall upstairs in the old sanctuary. And and then just whatever we were going to do with the basement, we didn't care. 
And we were going to have this beautiful new, and it was going to cost us so much money to do. And, and we were wondering how, and we were going to have to move the parsonage off the property anyway, because we were going to need all parking, because the zoning laws had changed over the years. And we said, Lord, how are we going to do all this? And then God had the answer, and he opened up this place to us. And God was so generous, wasn't he? The church that used to own this place that you can have it for $50,000. Now, that's a remarkable thing, isn't it? I know what they wanted for this building, and I know what it's worth today. With the economy the way it is today, this building is worth a lot more than when we first purchased it. If we went to build this building today, the insurance company says it would cost us over $700,000. That went way up from when we first purchased. But I still remember that day sitting in the office with the, with the pastor of the other church saying to him, because I knew what they wanted. I said, but if you guys offered it to us for $50,000, I would have to hear from God, no, don't do it. <laughs> Two weeks later, I get a phone call which almost knocked me off the stool I was sitting on. Um, I just talked to my church board And for you guys, for you guys, we will sell it to you for $50,000. Now that put me on a spot. Lord, I can't put a for sale sign up, could I? No, because it was a... Look look at how God was so generous to us. Lord, you're going to have to do something. We can't put a for sale sign out in front of this building. People think we're out of business. We're a church, can't do that. We got to go by faith. So Lord, and I heard God's voice saying that we were supposed to do this thing by this building. And I said to the Lord, okay, if that's the case, you're going to have to make the way. And I did it with all sorts of faith. Uh, I'll tell you what, it took a lot of faith to believe to do this. Two days later, after I prayed that prayer, there was a knock at the front door, Lorraine can tell you. It was the realtor next door saying, somebody wants to buy your property behind your building to build a house. And the Spirit of God put a boldness on me. I said, if they want the property, they have to buy the whole works. He said, not a problem. Name your price. I, we came up with a fair price. We did our research. We found out what our property was worth. We owned a quarter of the block. Now we own half of the block. God went ahead and helped us with that. He, his, his generosity... And what happened? We were able to pay off our mortgage, didn't we? We were able to buy our building, didn't we? We had money left over to go ahead and remodel where we needed to remodel and repaint where we needed to repaint and put, fix the signs and everything else so people knew it was under new management down here. We went from being an ugly brown church to being what the kids call us, the blue church. Everybody on the south side knows where we are at because we're the blue church. And God was so generous in that. And we were able, because we were able to buy this from the other church, we were able to bless them with that $50,000, which was the catalyst they needed to have to go ahead and finish their fellowship hall in their other building. Now, I'm telling you, that's God's generosity. That's God's generosity. He worked it out. And there wasn't, it was a unified vote in three different churches to do this. And one of them was a lot harder because it had to go to their bishop to be approved. And it went like smooth because that's God's generosity. 
Shouldn't we show our gratitude to him for all that he has done for us? By the way, don't we believe in the power of prayer? Come on, say amen. Don't we believe in the power of prayer? Come on. That, that, that's one of our stool. That's one of our legs of our stool, right? We, we are a praying church. We are a, we are a learning church. And we are a going church, right? We pray, we learn, and we go. And, and the power of prayer changes things. The power of prayer made this happen. The power of prayer made those chairs happen. Remember that money we were supposed to spend on replacing the roof over here? And because God sent a windstorm, I mean a terrible windstorm that was so strong, all of a sudden the insurance company says, a roof that was in such bad repair that they said, we're, we're not going to do anything with it. You bought it that way. You replace it. A windstorm that was so bad, it damaged hangars down here at the airport. Blue tiles all over the place. They came out and said, we're replacing it. And because of that, we could take this, that money we were saving up for the roof and buy new chairs so I could preach long. <laughs> Prayer works. And let me tell you something. If you're holding on to bitterness, if you're holding on to resentment, if you are holding on to unforgiveness in your life, you need to hit your knees in prayer and ask God to forgive you. And you need to forgive that person that you have that resentment against. As Elsa's saying, I think it was Elsa, let it go. A year and a half ago, that was our theme song around here, wasn't it? Let it go. <laughs> Especially on our worship team. I, <laughs> I thought the worship team was going to stand up and sing that one Sunday. But praise God, because of prayer and believing and working together, our worship team is a great cohesive group now. Our heritage is found in God's promises to us. For example, Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And now it says servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me says the Lord now I want you to notice something two things there that I don't have my notes I want you to notice something Martin Luther 500 years ago not only did he nail the 95 theses to the door of the Worms Church but he changed the way people were thinking he took us back to the first century church instead of being the 1500s church he said that every man and woman who were born again were priests of God. That was revolutionary for his day. There's still some that's revolutionary today too. <laughs> but this says here, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. If you are born again, <clears throat> you are called to be his servant. 
And this verse is speaking to you as a promise that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So why do you care so much what people in school say about you? Come on. Some of you in high school, you hear these rumors and things being said about you and you take it too much to heart. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I wish the millennials would learn what we were taught when we were kids. Sticks and stones may bake my bones, but names will never hurt me. You, you see, the thing is, when I was growing up, we were raised to have thicker skins and to understand that people who are saying nasty things about us, they're just ignorant. They're just ignorant. And if it's not true, why are we paying any attention to it? Because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We didn't need a pacifier and a blankie and my coloring books and a safe place to go hide. We could go ahead and say, you're an idiot, and walk away. You know, uh, we were, and then along came Pee Wee Herman and says, I am rubber, you are glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. My word, why are we so... Let things hurt us so much. And, and then listen to this. Because words today are so... It, it's, it's the fault of social media. You know this. Facebook has done something to um, get us all excited when people respond to our posts. We get all excited. Oh, they actually, oh somebody liked what I said. This is so cool. Now, now I, I do that all the time to you. I'm going, like, love. I don't do it to get you addicted. I do it because what you said was good. But listen to what the other part says. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment. What does it say there? You shall condemn. Stop letting people's words rile you up so much. You have a promise here from God, live in it. Accept it. This is our heritage. Stop living as though God can't meet your need. He can and He will when we act on our faith. We are going to start after we do these next six weeks of our Bible study with Brother Hill. We're going to go ahead and do another Bible study for the next seven weeks after that. Because why? Oh, we've heard it so many times. Why is God healing like he used to? He is over in Africa. He is over in India. He is over in Asia. Why isn't he healing here? You know what? I think part of our problem is it's our attitude. It's our attitude. And so we're going to do a seven-week series. It's going to have a DVD with it. It's going to have some things. It's going to teach us how to be healthier. It's written by a doctor who's born again, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and a member of the Church of God, by the way. And so um, we're going to do that because we need... And that one is only going to be taught in two of our um, life groups and not in all three. And so I encourage you to come to that. You know what? People don't have to die because of diabetes. People don't have to have high blood pressure. People don't have to. People can learn how to eat the right foods to turn off cancer cells. Come on. 
I've just been looking at a new diet that um, I haven't figured it out yet because I haven't studied it enough that will actually turn, you will not feed your body any more sugars so then your body has to eat the fat cells. And that once you get into the zone, you can get skinny pretty quick and it gets rid of belly fat. Um, the problem with belly fat, it causes diabetes. And diabetes will kill you. It is, diabetes, once it happens to you, it will cause other problems in your body that will ultimately kill you, but it's traced back to your diabetes because it did it to you, the side effects. Um, and it's terrible. And here's the other reason why I want us to go through this. I don't want anybody else coming down with dementia. Diabetes is the number one cause of dementia. Did you know that dementia is diabetes 3? And diabetes 2 and 3 are the only two diseases we choose to have. I'm, I'm off, off of scripture here, but it's the truth. We choose by our choice of lifestyle, by what we eat, what we drink, what we do. And we choose that for ourselves. So, if we choose it, we can reverse it. And we do it by following God's word. And uh, we do that. And, and the great thing about this study is going to put a biblical perspective to our health backed up by science. And I love the fact it's going to start with the Bible. Amen? We don't have to have... And, and don't... Listen, there are people who have had diabetes too following this other diet, this diet that I just learned about, they've had it for 15 years, and their insurance company, Sal, says your diabetes is complete remission, and their A1Cs are 5.3, which means no diabetes. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful to be able to do that and never have to worry about dementia? If you watch Pat Robinson about two months ago, he even had a story on a doctor and who has reversed Alzheimer's in people, but that one is so involved because it's caused by so many different things. And he's been able to reverse Alzheimer's for people so they can read the paper again, know who their grandkids are, and live a productive life. You know, we're all going to die one day, but I want to live until I die. How about you? I don't want to just survive. I want to live until I die so we can do more for Jesus. Of course, I know we Americans, oh, the rapture's going to happen anytime, so give me another cheeseburger. <laughs> and I want another box of those chocolates, that milk chocolate. I keep telling you, you can have, all, you can have chocolate, but eat the dark chocolate, forget about the milk chocolate. Dark chocolate's good for your brain. Milk chocolate, mm. yeah, it's good for your fat. <laughs> uh, but I like ice cream. I like pizza. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> you can tell, right? 
Let us live generous lives and experience what God will do for your life. Remember how, God, how generous God, the Father, has been to us. You want, me to, you want my proof to how generous God the Father has been to us? Here's a verse that's very familiar to us all. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should what not perish, but have everlasting life. There's the generosity of God. If he hadn't been that generous, where would we be? Where would we be? Sarah's going to lead us in a song. Um, Have thine own way. We're going to take communion this morning. And as we approach communion, and as we sing this song, Think about what we're singing. Have thine own way, Lord, meaning have your way in my life, Lord. Lord, help me to be that generous person. Let my generosity be your generosity. Oh, Lord, we ask you, Lord, as we go to take communion this morning, that you touch our hearts. That, Lord, that if we have sin in our lives, that, Lord, we give it to you right now. Even the things we didn't remember to ask for forgiveness, Lord, we just give it to you right now and say, Lord, forgive us. And we are so glad, Lord, that your grace covers a multitude of sin. And that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, right now I ask that you set people free this morning from any bitterness they may have. That, Lord, you would just deliver them from that. And, Lord, that if there are those here that harbor unforgiveness, that, Lord, they will purpose in their hearts to forgive. Even if it means going to that person that they have a problem with. Which, of course, Lord, is the way you'd have us to do anyway. But there's some that those people are gone now. And Lord, the greatest forgiveness, Lord, the forgiveness of ourselves. Lord, some might be here today that haven't been able to forgive themselves for things they've done in their past. But Father, if you could forgive us for all of our sins, we can too. And Lord, that's probably the hardest person to forgive is ourself. So Lord, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you would help that person to forgive. And so Lord, as we take communion today, We ask you, Lord, to minister to our lives. And Lord, we also pray that if we're not well today, that as we take communion, you will heal us. Because by your stripes we are forgiven, and the cup represents your blood. We thank you for this. 
In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.